0: Hello everyone and welcome to Longevity Now, the place for all your news and views of Life Extension from around the world. I've been gone for a few months on projects unrelated to Life Extension, but this gave me a good opportunity to approach this interview from a different perspective. I didn't have time to delve into the details of the current research project funded by Longevity. so I thought I would go into it rather blindly and ask questions as if I was someone who was from a non-scientific background. If the researcher can explain it to someone without a scientific background, then there is much hope for further support for sense-type research from broader segments of society. And without further ado, here's this episode of Longevity Now. And now let's welcome to the program Dr. Matthew O'Connor. Great to be here. Well, first of all, let's get acquainted with the audience. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became involved in aging research?
1: Well, I actually went into science uh, originally to do aging research. So I ended up doing a uh, Ph.D. at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, studying telomeres, proteins that that regulate the telomere. And then I did my postdoc at UC Berkeley on uh, muscle stem cell aging. And uh, it was after that that I heard about uh, the Sens Foundation under Aubrey de Grey starting uh, up a new lab down here in Mountain View and was uh, offered the opportunity to come and uh, be the, uh, the senior scientist down here, and uh, I jumped on it.
0: Okay, so let me just step back just a second. You said when you entered your college career that you had already decided you wanted to study aging. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's true. Actually, I've wanted to, uh, I've been interested in aging research since I was 16. And so it's, it's a dream come true uh, to, to have this position at Sun's Foundation doing what I've always wanted to do. And
0: did you originally come into aging research with the goal of combating aging, reversing aging?
1: Yeah, the issues of uh, diseases of aging and, and longevity and healthy lifespan have always been foremost. In, uh, in my mind and in my goals for, you know, why I went into science and okay. why I said things that I did. Uh, what is your current focus at the SENS
0: Research Foundation?
1: Uh, well, now I spend most of my time studying mitochondria and mitochondrial aging and specifically how we can rescue uh, mutations in mitochondrial DNA.
0: Okay, hold it right there. Tell me, explain to me, what is a mitochondria and what does it have to do with aging in some basic terms?
1: Sure. So mitochondria are the power plants of your cells. They make most of your energy through a process known as oxidative phosphorylation. They are uh, organelles inside of your cells. And like I said, they're, they're like little power plants. And uh, the analogy I like to use is they're like coal-fired power plants. They, they produce tons of energy uh, whenever you need it. They do it very efficiently, but they release a lot of pollution into the area around them. In this case, the pollution is free radicals. Now, the aging problem there is that you've got mitochondria are really interesting and unique in that they have their own DNA. Uh, it's the only place, the only organelle that, uh, that I know of outside of the nucleus that has its own DNA coding for, for genes that are essential functional part of the organelle, DNA is very sensitive to damage from free radicals. And so it, it, it's really dangerous to have this power plant releasing all this pollution right in the vicinity of all of this critical DNA that's inside of the mitochondria.
0: Okay, I guess uh, that's a, a nice explanation and a nice analogy, but let me tell you, talking about power plants and pollution. good analogy, but it sounds kind of like an infomercial. I see a lot of anti-aging commercials on TV and different supplements and different doctors that promise, you know, rejuvenation because they're going to clean up you know, the cells and they're going to stop the pollution in your body. What? Can you tell me here about your research that is different than what your typical infomercial hawker would have to say? What makes it special? How are you more legitimate, say, than some of this other stuff that is going on around the world?
1: I mean, so there's two ways to think about how to prevent and reverse the the damage caused by free radicals in the body, particularly inside the mitochondria. One is preventing... The damage, uh, perhaps with uh, antioxidants uh, and things of that nature, and another uh, would be be to make the damage irrelevant. I, I don't think that there's anything fundamentally wrong with with the concept of preventing the damage. The problem is nobody's come up with a good way to do it. And so any of the you know the, the snake oil that people are hawking, the problem with it isn't that it's a bad idea. The problem is that it doesn't work. It, is that it's uh, difficult to get antioxidants into the right place and and it's essentially impossible to prevent a hundred percent of the damage eventually these free radicals are going to get the better of you and and do enough mutations so you
0: would say your research and your approach is getting a little bit
1: more to the root of the issue well it's uh, it's a different approach from the idea of preventing the damage because in in the case of if my research is successful it will make the damage essentially irrelevant because then the um, if I make a backup copy, and we haven't gotten into this into my strategy yet, but it my strategy is to create a backup copy of that mitochondrial DNA in the nucleus, uh, and so any damage to mitochondrial DNA would be uh, made redundant by uh, by the backup copy that I created.
0: Okay, well, that sounds rather radical there comes to mind. The thought of side effects when you're moving some genes around or duplicating them and putting them in different parts of the cell, like the nucleus, you must have thought about that. Uh, what are potential downfalls or side effects that could happen because of this
1: well I mean it's obviously something that we need to pay close attention to what' we're, the strategy that that we're employing is that we're trying to imitate evolution as closely as possible, and so there's something in the neighborhood of a thousand genes that regulate the mitochondria, and about 99% of them uh, are encoded in the nucleus already. Okay, and so only 13 protein-coding genes are still coded in the mitochondria. Now, the, all those genes used to be encoded by the mitochondria, and they've uh, over the the course of evolutionary history uh, have gradually migrated into the nucleus so there's, there's obvious advantages to having most of these genes, the vast majority of these genes in the nucleus and so we, we've studied how it is that, that this occurred and how those genes had to evolve in order to make a successful jump from the mitochondria to the nucleus and we're trying to exploit uh, the same strategies that evolution has. Uh, okay. has so used.
0: it it wouldn't get too crowded then. You're thinking, hey, 13 genes, it's not that many. You put them in the nucleus, it's not going to get crowded. It's
1: not going to cause too many bad side effects. Well, in terms of, so there's a, a couple different issues there. One, is it going to be crowded? That's pretty much not a problem. Not an issue. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's we're talking about 13 genes. There's already something in the neighborhood of 13,000 protein, or 20,000 20, protein-coding genes. In, in the nuclear genome, already three uh, billion bases of DNA in the in the human nuclear genome, whereas we're talking about transferring, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of ten to sixteen thousand bases of uh, of DNA into the uh, uh, from the mitochondria into the nucleus. So. It's a trivial amount of DNA as far as the nucleus is concerned. In terms of other side effects, one uh, that people sometimes worry about is, well, where in the, in the nucleus are you going to put it? Are you going to put it in a specific place? Are you going to put it in there randomly? The short answer is, you know, that's a problem for the, for the gene therapists, and uh, I'm, I'm not. that's not my specialty. But uh, there's lots of great technology in the pipeline for putting genes into very specific places where people are testing to make sure that there are no side effects uh you know and people have been putting genes you know by you know quote unquote gene therapy into cells and cell culture for uh you know for quite a while now so it's 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 nothing new and it certainly doesn't uh, overtly poison the cells but uh you know of course you know later on when you get into safety trials and stuff we'll have to look carefully and make sure there are no uh, Okay,
0: and and then the analogy to continue would be that in the nucleus, there is no power production going on, so there's no pollution, so those genes would be more protected there.
1: That's what I really like about this strategy is the nucleus is entirely specialized in housing and protecting DNA, that's what the nucleus does. The nucleus has a big has a nuclear membrane, which is basically a big shield around it to protect it from things like free radicals uh, seeping in. Okay. The nucleus has chromosomes and chromatin where it organizes DNA in in a very uh, nice and tightly regulated fashion. And The nucleus has many levels of redundant DNA repair machinery that whenever damage happens uh, to DNA, as does happen frequently, there's proteins that are specialized in very rapidly uh, responding to and and fixing that damage. So the nucleus is really where DNA should be, not inside of the power plant.
0: Okay, you've got these uh, 13 genes coding for some proteins, why not just... Make those proteins and inject them into people's cells, and then you have them there, and uh, the genes wouldn't matter anymore.
1: Well, uh, the problem is uh, there's two problems with that. One is delivering that you have to engineer the, the proteins to get where you need them to go, to not be broken down before they get there. And further, not to cause an immune response because you're just injecting them into into circulation where where the body's not used to seeing them. So I think that's actually pretty uh, a difficult task. On top of that, you have to worry about the fact that proteins in general are are turned over uh, constantly and constantly replaced. So that's why we have a genome that's constantly making proteins as proteins are constantly being turned over. And so this is a process that needs constant, constant maintenance. So uh, you'd need pretty frequent injections in order to be able to I maintain see. your entire mitochondrial proteome by injection only.
0: Okay, that does make sense then. Uh, now, specifically with the grant money that you are going to be receiving from Longevity, uh, what specific things will you be doing with that in the SENS Research
1: Lab? Uh, so I've proposed two very specific and concise objectives that I hope don't sound too specific uh, to your listeners but they' uh, they're, they're really critical steps in, in making this technology work. okay We've chosen two of the 13 genes to to focus on and they're called cytochrome B and ATP8. These two genes are both uh, absolutely essential to the uh, energy, Production process of your mitochondria, and we chose these two genes for several reasons. One is that uh, one of those genes, ATP8, is the is is one of the uh, is the smallest mitochondrially encoded protein. It's really tiny, and so it should be relatively easy to uh, to get it inside of the mitochondria. Uh, the other cytochrome b is is one of the biggest and possibly chemically the most difficult to pass through a membrane. So one reason that we chose these is that they're an example of the, e- the what what might be hypothetically the easiest and the hardest to get to work. Another reason that we chose these two was from a practical standpoint. Human mutations in like people who are born with mutations in uh, in any of the mitochondrial encoded genes. Are very are, are are pretty rare, and particularly ones that that cause um, that are severe enough to cause uh, disease. And when they do occur, um, they tend to be really mild mutations that don't actually that only disrupt the protein a little bit and don't disrupt its production um, and only partially disrupt its function. But since the mitochondrial energy production system is so delicate uh, and so highly tuned. Even very mild mutations can cause very severe diseases in humans. But we, we searched and searched, and we found uh, cell lines from two human patients that had completely no mutations in, in ATP8 and cytochrome B, two different cell lines, uh, you know, one for each gene, okay. And we got the scientists who discovered these, uh, these patients and then you know found out what the mutation was, and then took uh, and established cell lines from them. And what we're working on now is and, and we're well on our, on our way on this, is that we're, we're taking these two cell lines and we're trying to take them from being partially mutated, which was the only way that the, the patients possibly could have survived to birth, is that they're only partially uh, only some of their copies of of these genes were mutated, and we're making them perfectly mutant so that they're 100% mutant cells. You know, So 100% of the mitochondria in all of these cells have the same mutation in ATP8. Uh, and we're, we're testing them very, very sensitively to make sure that they're um, 100% perfect. And that's going to be a great, great tool to study the, uh, the rescue of, of these mutations. Sure.
0: What would be the next step say, after you do this research and what would be the follow-on research that would be the next step and what type of uh, funding would that take?
1: So you know you know I think that we can make good progress on the next step in the next uh, six months of uh, support from from longevity, which is to to take these two genes and put them into these these cells so we already have these cells oh want, I see okay to establishing them, so uh, the first part of the of this project is going to be to to finish creating these cell lines. But the second part, which uh, we've already started as well, is uh, optimizing and inserting these genes to rescue the mutations. And so we have constructs, uh, targeting constructs, already created that we're starting to test and see if we can get the proteins expressed and targeted to the, the right place in the mitochondria. And the ultimate goal of this aspect of the project is to take these cells that can't produce energy at all from oxidative phosphorylation and switch them to being able to produce energy exclusively with oxidative phosphorylation.
0: Okay. Something uh, I wanted to ask you, non-related to the science aspect of your uh, research here, but uh, more on the publicity side. You originally, you know, at a young age, wanted to study aging in order to, you know, combat aging and increase healthy longevity. Uh, What is the key for convincing more people would you say to come to that conclusion that it's a good thing to reverse aging to to investigate rejuvenation you know it seems most of the world isn't on that
1: bandwagon what would be well, uh, I think the important thing is, is is the way that uh that, that you start the conversation if you ask most people do you want to live forever or, do you want to you know live to 150 or something like that they they start thinking about about how they'd feel living forever as a as a 100 year old, or they start thinking about all the terrible things that start to to happen to you as you age. You know, you get uh, you lose your eyesight, or you get Alzheimer's disease, you get dementia and stuff like that. And and that's I think that's the place to have the conversation is well, do you, do you not want to get Alzheimer's disease? Okay, well then let's let's fix Alzheimer's disease, but You know all of these diseases, whether it's uh, Alzheimer's disease or macular degeneration or uh, cancer and uh, you know muscle degeneration. What causes these diseases isn't some you know random unknown factor. It is aging, and that that's the primary risk factor for for getting any of these diseases of aging. It's aging, Uh, and so what what we our philosophy at Sense Foundation is to tackle these problems from what is it about aging that causes these diseases? And how can we reverse those? So if you ask somebody if they want to get Alzheimer's disease, nobody says yes, right? Right. And so uh, what we we think uh, you need to do is say, hey, you know, you don't want to get these diseases of aging, then let's tackle The Uh, root causes, kind of. The root cause uh, of these diseases, which uh, is, you know, what aspects of aging is what causes these diseases.
0: Well, Dr. O'Connor, it was a very enlightening conversation. We wish you best of luck in your research, and please keep, keep us updated on any successes or setbacks that might occur, and hopefully together we can continue to reverse aging.
1: Great. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to you today, Justin.
0: And in closing, I don't have too much to add except to thank once again the SENS Research Foundation for leveraging the limited amount of funding and researchers available to achieve great results in the battle against aging. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.